Hey fam, I can't wait to just get straight into this epic episode for today. For anyone new to the show, welcome. You are now sitting at the Sacred Fire for Ceremony Circle podcast, and I am your host, Allison Charles. Today we get to explore seduction with Lee Noto, the go-to intimacy coach for powerful women, and she is on a mission to revolutionize how we do love, sex, and relationships. Through her work, she helps women access their seductive superpowers and full expression so they can attract love and create wildly fulfilling and passionate relationships. She believes that it is turned on women who will change the world. And her area of specialty is in helping high achieving single women unleash their feminine power so they can attract emotionally available masculine men. And if you're an avid listener, you know how passionate I've been lately leaning into and learning more about sacred sex, intimacy, and connection. And after meeting Lee and learning she specializes in seduction, I knew I wanted to have her on. So we explore what does seduction mean, how this work called to her, what her family thinks about her work and personal life choices, how to open yourself up to infinite possibilities and truly live outside the box. We cover that area in depth, including going into some of the surprising and brave choices that Lee and her romantic committed partner have made. Definitely outside the box and really illuminating. We also dive into why seduction is important in life, how to explore seduction, not from a place of shadow or manipulation practices and ways to start learning the art of seduction and starting points with your partner. And I was definitely curious about this question. Does seduction look different when dating versus when you're married? And so, so much more. This one is juicy. So let's get to it, shall we? We are now entering the superpower of seduction, turning yourself and your life on in a conscious way with Lee Noto. Okay, Lee. Hi, sister. Welcome Hi. to our home. Oh, it's so lovely to be here. The vibe is right. I'm happy to hear it because uh, you you heard a little bit about our journey, what it took for us to arrive here, and we won't be filming or you know doing our podcast too often in here. But we're like in an in between state. So it's nice to be able to have friends come over that I would want to come over anyways, and we can just do podcasts in the house too. So (laughs) thanks for joining me. And oh my gosh, I've been so excited to get into what we're going to learn and explore with you today, because I'm noticing this theme that's showing up very dominantly for my own life And what seems to be for a lot of the lives of the Ceremony Circle podcast listeners, and it's like sacred intimacy, sacred sex, sacred sexological body work, sacred ancient sex practices, sacred seduction. And it's like, you know, it's all of these orbs and types of categories that I feel are not discussed nearly enough. And certainly feel that historically speaking, when discussed, they have been discussed in a way that is not of service for our now times. 
and what people are ready for. And when I met you at the at Luna's dinner, loved your energy. I loved just how down to earth you were. And so I just made note. I was like, oh, she feels like the type of essence of guests that I love to have on. Then when I followed you on Instagram and saw like some of the primary teachings that you bring to the world, I was like, oh, this is just all lining up so perfectly. So the main thing that I would love for us to dive into and learn from you today, because I have like no knowledge of it. I don't even know what it means is seduction. And I know this might be like, oh my God, such a 101 starting point when people are like, can we start by you saying, what is shamanism? I've done it a million times. It's going to be the same for you, but I literally don't even know what, what does seduction mean? What is it? I love this question. And thank you for asking. For me, I think there's so much taboo around seduction and Seduction in its purest form is presence, Mm. like deep presence. Even if we were to just look into each other's eyes right now and I can feel you here, I can feel you feeling me and I'm feeling you. It's like we have a seductive trance happening and there is an interplay happening between our energies and Seduction is all about presence. And that's like not even just 101 level, but foundationally and in its core, seduction is the ability to be present and adapt and play and be curious and have a lot of fun. Hmm. That is the way that I have found seduction to really, and and seductive energy to support my life. Wow. Okay. So much even with that first answer that I want to explore. It's like, so I, I, I suppose in my 43 years of living, I've had seduction experiences, but I can't tell you about any of them. It's like, I've never entered into an environment or um, like, let's say an afternoon with Luke or a date with Luke where I set an intention to tap into and be with and conjuring with the energetics of seduction. So it's like, I'm taking in your first answer and that was an unexpected one. And I'm already like, oh, okay, it's it's starting to make more sense. But I just want to keep going like thread by thread as much as we can with this because I can't be alone in the art of seduction feeling like a foreign world. Can you give some examples? I love that Instagram series you did of, um, (laughs) I put it down, uh, how to um, pump gas seductively, how to work seductively, how to make your bed seductively. And for someone like me, that was so helpful to be like, oh, wow, when she was pumping that gas, that was really genuinely seductive. And I would have never thought about it like that. Can you start to paint a couple of pictures and give some examples of seduction, the art of seduction at work? What does it look like? Yes. So I think of seduction as an interplay of energy. There's a a giving and taking, a 
uh, pushing and pulling, a directing and surrendering. So, and, and you may refer to this as sort of masculine and feminine energies or dominant and submissive energies, but really it's this, it's this energetic interplay that allows us to really be present with whatever is happening, wherever we are, whoever we're with. It can be a seductive interplay between you and your beloved. It could be a seductive interplay between you and the gas pump. What would be one example of a seductive interplay with me and my partner? Like, how does that work? Okay, wonderful. And why, why when I picture myself, because this is alluring to me, you know, and I want to, I want to, I want to try being more seductive. But when I picture myself in that, it, I know I can do it. I know I've got the capabilities in me, but if, when I first see a vision of myself doing it, it almost makes me want to chuckle, like, mm. you know, picturing myself attempting to be uh, this this way. But like, yeah, what's what would be a way I can be seductive with my partner? Yes. So imagine, let's take, strip away the idea of seduction for a moment. Okay. And just imagine eye gazing with him and breathing together. And just being there in the same space, almost to the point that thoughts disappear. There is nothing outside of that present moment. You are with him and he is with you. Your mind, your body, your heart is there together. And there is a resonance and recognition that you are sharing and occupying the same energetic and emotional space. Mm. I would imagine that you and him have had a many, many moments like that. Yes. Okay. We do a lot of just natural breathing together and, and gazing together. Yes. So that is the foundation of all of this. And Okay. It, okay. Yes. I you, bet the you first got it. building block <laughs> yes. down. Didn't even know it. We're off to a great start. Yes. You're, you've <laughs> got this. It's, it's the ability to attune, to mm -hmm. tune in and to be with. When we are with, we have the ability to adapt and play. And when we're deeply present in that space, it's not, there is no agenda. It's not like I think in, in three seconds, he's going to do this, or then in a minute, I'm going to do this. There is just a pure presence and an observation of oneself, an observation of the other, and a responsiveness to what is happening in the present moment. Mm. So, mm -hmm. for example, you may take your finger and graze it alongside his ear and you may notice that he chuckles and maybe he turns away and you're like, oh, I'm observing in the present moment that's something that maybe tickles him or it delights him. And so you recognize that as you're touching him in that way, he's having a visceral, palpable, delightful response. And in that observation, you then respond accordingly. And if that's the tone you want to continue to set where it's light and flirty because you love seeing him smile, you love hearing his giggle, then you continue in that same energy in order to almost elicit this response because you see that it delights him and his delight delights you. And it's just this responsive, present, mm. back and forth set of energetics. And we can talk about leading 
in seduction and surrendering in seduction. Yes, please. <laughs> All the things. <laughs> but even in that, does that feel available to you to, to touch him lightly? Yes. And to just watch him respond. Touch. I have learned um, more than ever that touch is clearly my love language. He, Luke tells me all the time, he's like, I have never met anyone anywhere near uh, that has the, the capability of being touched as much as you have the capability of being touched. He's like, if we just stayed on the couch today and I just touched you all day, would you like that? I'm like, yes, I would love that. And, um, and, and vice versa. Yes. I'm, I'm big with touch. Okay. Happy to do that. Wonderful. Wonderful. So even in that brief scene or interaction, you can feel that there's a deep presence there's a responsiveness, there's an adaptability, and we can only adapt when we're truly present with what's happening. So in this interaction, you're grazing your finger behind his ear or alongside his face as you gaze lovingly into his eyes. This is sort of an, uh, with a feeling of innocence, perhaps, right? Seduction isn't always like, oh, vixen. There is that form of seduction, but there can even be a gentle innocence to seduction. Oh, I like, see, I didn't even ever think about that there can be different forms and treatments of seduction. I, that's so helpful. Um, I'm actually going to take note of that because, um, so there's forms of seduction and more innocence being one of them. Cause yeah, I would think, again, I can't be alone and people just assuming it's more of that, like, yeah, like the alluring vixen energy instead of innocence. Yeah. So there I've been mapping different archetypes within the seductress and the seductress is already an archetypal figure. And if we sort of go way back, the seductress is known to behold power. And in many epics and tales like the Odyssey, for example, and in other tales, the seductress has an ability to power, to, to have power over or to command because of her allure. Mm. Now this is how she's depicted. And there is a, a shadow side to seduction, but there's also a way to use our seductive energy that is inherent within us as women for good because seduction isn't good or bad, but how we use this energy and the superpower, I would argue is you know, then what we sort of put a moral judgment on. My form and flavor of seduction is how can we tap into this primal life force within us as women to use this power for good, both in relationship to ourselves and in relationship to others in the world around us. And so as I'm looking at the light side of seduction and the shadow side, what we typically see in the shadow side is manipulation weaponizing of sexuality, power over, taking from for our own benefit. And it's important to be aware that we can use seductive energy in that way. So, yeah, I think let's let's sit with this because um, I'm being flashed in visions to like how movies portray, mm-hmm. you know, seduction and the art of seduction. Um, and one example being, yeah, like a beautiful goddess type woman who, um, 
whatever, there's some scene where she knows that she's a goddess and knows that she's gorgeous and enters into a setting with the whole goal of tapping into and expressing and unlocking that seductive power to get whatever or get back at the guy or, you know, there's some end goal that she's utilizing her seductress power to make happen. It's interesting. I don't know why along the way, it just until now, learning about seduction and exploring these energies has just not come in. But to my knowledge, I can honestly say that I truly in life have never gone into a setting or engaged with someone utilizing my sexual or seductive energies for gain. It's like, I, I wouldn't even know how, where to begin or even how to do that. And I'm, and I'm just being honest. And I'm also not saying like that, that's some big pat on the back. Cause I think it also shows there's this whole area of, of life um, that has been untapped for me uh, that I feel very young in, in learning about. So when I think about the concept of people opening up seductive energies for gain, it feels just so hard for my brain to even understand. Yet I know there are a number of people um, who do it. So I don't know what comes up for you in this exact area of seduction, um, but I feel like there's just more I want to unpack. Yeah. So let's talk about the other side now, because we talked about the shadow side of seduction, and that is typically how seduction is portrayed, that there is some sort of taking or convincing or luring for our personal gain where there's a win-lose proposition. My desire in the world is to show others how we can use seductive energy as a way to create a win for everyone. There's a a quote that depicts this perfectly, which is, I don't move to seduce you. I seduce to move you. Hmm, Let me sit with that for a moment. Can you say it one more time? I don't move to seduce you. I seduce to move you. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. What are you hearing in that? Yeah, there's a whole, there's two different energetics at play. Yeah, one feels manipulative and the other is more like divine inspiration or it's, it's yeah, different things going on. Yes. So in the second sentence, there is this use of seduction to call someone higher, to move them, to shift their energy, perhaps from a place of stagnation into movement, into expansion and inspiration. And seductive energy can be used for that. Because even if you think of the feeling of being turned on, whether that's sexual turn on or just the feeling of being alive, maybe you're driving down a highway and you've got the windows down and you feel the sun on your face, you've got your favorite song on, you feel alive and turned on. There's energy pulsing through your body. There's 
inspirational energy. There's, it feels good. You might be moved into action because of how high you feel. Mm. And so seductive energy can be used for that as well. Aha. Wow. I knew there was a lot to learn (laughs) in all of this. Okay. So now looping back to the innocence option, how, where does that come in and what does that, does that look like what you just described or is that slightly different if you're working with seduction, not from the vixen place, but from the innocence place. Can we trail on that path a little? Yeah. And I'll provide some full context so that we can talk about some of the sub archetypes within the seductress. And this is something I'm actively mapping right now. So bear in mind, this may not be a complete map by the time I really wrap my mind around this, but there are different energies within seductive energy. So there's the dominant, the submissive, the vixen, the siren, and I am calling this the cherub or the angel, Mm. which is sort of the innocent curiosity and play the way we possess as children, where it's just like, oh, what does this do? Oh, how does this feel? Oh, wow. I really like this. And there's just a lighthearted innocence that can be seductive and present and curious and playful. And it might be the scene when you see two lovers in bed on a Sunday morning and they're just pillow fighting and playing. And there's just this curiosity and this back and forth interplay of energy that is so deeply present, but there's, there's not a forcefulness to it. There's not a, uh, sort of, you know, nighttime sexual energy. It's light, it's playful, it's airy. And it can be innocent and curious. And that is sort of like the the flavor of innocence where it's like, what does this do if I touch this in mm. this way? I love that. Can you, for some reason, I'd love for you to shed more light on the submissive. Yeah. Is that the word you use? Mm-hmm. I'm like, how would that one work? Yes. So the dominant and the submissive are like two lovely peas in a pod. And the submissive energy typically has their energy and their attention focused inward. Whereas the dominant energy has their energy and attention focused outward. So if we were in an interplay right now and I were the dominant energy, I might say, sit down. I'm focused on you. I'm focused on what I would like you to do, how I want you to act or show up. I have a directive energy and a presence that's focused on you and your experience. Whereas the submissive would have their energy turned inward. So in a, say, sexual scenario, I might say, I feel so good when you do that. That feels so pleasurable for me. Yes. So I'm expressing something about my experience. My energy and attention and focus is turned inward at me. And in addition to that, if there is a um, a healthy, optimal dynamic, then I am surrendering to your direction and I may allow you to lead me. And 
there is a trust that I have bestowed in your direction, in your clarity, in your ability to attune to me, to read me, to be with the ever-changing nature of my nervous system, of my breathing, of my facial expressions. When there's deep trust between a dominant and submissive, the dominant is so tuned in and so present to the submissive. And the submissive is surrendering to the experience and to the lead of the dominant. Oh, interesting. There we go. Pausing at the Holy Trinity. Um, okay, so all these different things. Okay, so I know there's a lot to to explore, but where I'm being led now, I was so curious how you landed on this being your niche of teaching and, and guiding people because it's very specific. And it, I mean, at least for me in my world, it's it's a little bit unique. You, I, I haven't met a ton of, you know, um, and I don't know if you consider yourself a, a spiritual teacher, but I'll just use an example. I haven't met a ton of spiritual guides and teachers that focus on seduction. So how the heck did you get here? When I look back in retrospect, it feels like this is where I was destined to be because I've always been here. And as children, I think we're naturally flirtatious. And I, I take flirtatious completely out of a sexual context or with the need to gain anything. Flirtatious is just presence and curiosity and being in an interaction with someone or something in a way that creates uh, a breathing of new life into ourselves in the experience. And I've, I've always felt that way as a child, as a teen, as a young adult, that I just had an ability and curiosity to interact with myself in that way and to interact with others in the world in that way. And I never thought that I would ever teach about this or, or anything like that quite literally. But now that I'm here, I'm like, this makes total sense. Like I feel alive when I think about seduction and when I share this work with women, particularly women who are wanting to call in their beloveds and have not connected yet to this energy within them. And with women who are already in relationship and also have not connected to this energy within them. Because there's many, many special gifts that we possess and embody as women and that are inherent within us that are different than the energy of someone who identifies as a man. And this seductive energy, the goddess archetype, the vixen, the flirt, that's something that is here within us. And anytime we wish to tap into it or access it or learn about that part of us, we can. And so as I have learned about that part of me and what her desires are and the power that she holds and her ability to create in the world, I'm like, oh my gosh, women must know about this because when I tap into this within me, I'm like, I feel powerful. I feel alive. I'm having fun. I might be dancing or making cacao. And the flavor of my doing those things is uplifted because I've connected to this energy. What were me. you doing before this? <laughs> oh my gosh. 
gosh, so good. I was in corporate America. I mean, it's so helpful for people to hear because so many, um, you know, as we know, over the especially over the last two or three years, have reached these, like, I simply cannot go back to that way of life or go back to that job. And there's just been so much deconstruction to open up um, for new life uh, and new careers for people. So I think it's always so great for them to hear examples of like, did you go to an office? Like, were you working kind of like a nine to five at some point? Yep. I was a New York City corporate job having hustle bustle woman. (laughs) We probably brushed past each other on a Manhattan sidewalk a number of times. Like, when were you there? Because we were probably there at the same time. I was there from 20... 14 to 2019. We were definitely there at the same time. I lived in Brooklyn, but, you know, a lot of my work took place in Manhattan. And I mean, it's hilarious to think that we might have crossed paths at some point. I don't think I knew that you had lived there if you you told me I had forgotten. Um, So, and I know what that version of you looks like. Like I can see you. I know what that feels like, what that functions like. See you popping into the coffee shop and then going, you know, like I, I know that drill and, and yet, so you, and what were you doing at that job? So I started in product development in tech for a corporate education company and then moved to learning and development, which is arguably the most human-centered team in mm. in many companies. It's a function of HR. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to end up in corporate America and hopefully climb the corporate ranks, then let me at least be doing something that's people-focused because people are my jam. I can do this. And in retrospect, I didn't know this at the time, I just was not turned on, not inspired. I had no desire to push myself and to grow. This was a job and it was fine. But now that I have the contrast for what life can feel like outside of something that dries me up, there's something completely different. Whoa. Okay. So I'm loving this. How, when, when did the circuitry of guiding you elsewhere begin to rise up and what did that trajectory of making the needed pivots look like for you? Because here we sit, um, you know, on the outskirts of Austin where we both live and you're clearly doing work that looks, feels, smells, tastes, functions completely differently than what you just described. When did you first get aware that you needed to make some moves? I was still in the corporate job and I was comfortable there. There was, you know, as you know, 401k and healthcare and all these traditional things that provide a perceived sense of security. And during that time, I was like, this, this can't be it. Like, there's no way there's got to be more. So I started seeking. And at that point I went back and earned two certifications in coaching and very synchronistically, also found or was found by a teacher who practiced in a tantric lineage for about 30 years. And she was a teacher that traveled through India, Thailand, and other places. And as we 
discovered each other and I was opened to this world and this work, I thought, I've never felt more at home in my life than in this world where there is an openness to ourselves, where there is an exploration and curiosity, where we get to release the shackles of shame that we've been conditioned with in modern day society. There is a path to oneness and to bliss and union through our sexual energy, through sexuality. And when we can cultivate and harness that energy and intentionally use it, there are unlimited possibilities available to us about what we can create in the world, how we can be inspired, how we can inspire. And that was the, I think the, uh, almost the birth of where my work and my life and just my beliefs are now, which is how do we take this energy that is inherent within all of us and is quite literally the reason we're here. We are always in our life force energy. The degree to which we feel alive in that varies, but how do we take that and use it and understand the inner workings so that we can use it intentionally to create things that feel good for us and, and support the world. Whoa. Okay. I'm, I'm with you on this journey. I'm, I'm following the trajectory. Um, thank you for painting the picture. And I, I want to know next, just again, because the soul fam who listens a lot of them, um, as their spiritual awakenings are happening and gifts are opening up and they're feeling led and pulled and called into more of the spiritual path and potentially teaching, it can be really discombobulating in terms of like how to juggle it all. And okay, if I'm feeling called to be a guide in some area of um, spiritual healing arts, yet I still have bills to pay, like there's typically an area on the path before you get to where you and I sit that can be a little funky, a little wonky. And I've shared honestly, when my example, I simultaneously was having my divine intervention and spiritual awakening about the exact same time that the TV talk show that I was filming in New York City was ending unexpectedly, very unexpectedly. I'll never forget, I was getting my hair highlighted at a salon when the executive producer called. I literally had to lift the foils, you know, like lift all the panels of my hair up to like try to not get all the bleach on the phone. I was like, hello. And like, that's how I found out that like the the show, I was like, but I'm getting my hair highlighted for the show. What do you mean? There's no more show. But anyways, so that was happening while I was having my awakening. And then as I was facing myself, healing myself, all that stuff and being shown visions of as a public figure shaman, how I was supposed to function in the world and be of service for the mainstream and open doors for people that they wouldn't have opened otherwise. And all this stuff, all this stuff coming in, I'm still living in New York city by myself with expensive bills and rent to pay. And for, there was a juncture where my friend who was the founder of a juice company, she was opening up her first flagship store, her first physical location. And she knew I was in this odd place in my life. And she said, Allison, will you manage my juice shop? And I sat there and it was such a good teaching for me 
And I'm so glad I said yes to that. It was really humbling in a very good way. I had a lot of ego deaths in there, like having come from the world of radio and television. And I'm sitting in this teeny tiny little juice shop in the middle of Soho, you know, ringing people up for their juice blends and explaining that why, you know, this one with celery is better. Like, it, and I went in every day and I like met those energetics every single day as the shaman in me was formulating. And as I was doing events at Namaste Bookshop and all these other places. Um, so I just think it's helpful uh, to explain this stuff to people. Honestly, um, what, what was one other point in your path before you got to where you're at now? Okay. I have <laughs> a, a similar story. So I was in corporate America and I was one Lee by day and then this completely other identity was forming on the nights and weekends. And this was as I was diving into tantric studies with this teacher, I was in a very intensive two-year apprenticeship. So you're doing tech and tantra. Yeah. This is so good. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. And nobody in this sort of like 3D world knows about any of this because it's how do you even, where do you even start? So I'm this completely other person, which feels very real and authentic for me at this point. And I'm a wee, a wee lass on the journey. And I'm simultaneously studying here, starting the very beginnings of my coaching business and starting to generate some revenue. And as this happens, I'm I'm also a part of a journey community in Brooklyn where I meet Ta and Cole, who you know. Yes. Okay. So I go to my first journey and I meet Ta and Cole and some other friends who are now here in Austin, a part of the Soul Fam. So funny. And I had become fast friends with them. Fast forward a couple of years later while I'm bifurcated between tech and tantra. <laughs> just making note of that yeah. as a possible title for this <laughs> from tech to tantra it's so yeah. funny <laughs> cole invites me on a trip to peru now i'm already a couple of years into this journey work and i'm like absolutely i've got a corporate salary to and time that i need to take off i'm gonna go on a vision quest so i go with them in one of the ceremonies we're sitting with grandmother and i'm at this point i'm in it i'm burrowed in my little cot area. I have no idea what's happening with anyone else. And I remember saying, I wish to let go of that which is not truly me. It's a big prayer when you're sitting with grandmother right? medicine. <laughs> I, I had no, this is not something I would have normally said in the day to day as I'm walking to the coffee shop on the way to work. I don't, at that point, my, my level of consciousness in my mind wasn't formed to the place where I thought, oh, I wish to let go of that, which is not truly me. I'm, I'm walking as a, a very 3D person. And I, even still, I consider myself, pardon the French or not, a 3D ass bitch. Like mm -hmm. I just, I feel like a human, an mm -hmm. earthling. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt that way. And I, I enjoy that. So I say this prayer and I remember that saying with me for the rest of the trip, we get back from Peru on October 31st of that year. I'm slowly making my way back into my meetings, working from home for those next few days. It's November 2nd. I wake up and I lay in bed and I think, I wonder what my life would be like if I felt truly free again. 
not something I would normally ponder on, but that's what came to me. So as I said that, I'm like, well, you know, I don't think I'd have a corporate job. And then I was like, okay, well, how would I make money? Hmm. Well, I would continue this apprenticeship where I have some income coming in. I would grow my coaching business. Okay, it's doable. It was a very pragmatic exploration. And I woke up, sit at my computer. I'm like, oh, funny, there's a new meeting on my calendar that wasn't here yesterday. Show up to the meeting. It's my former manager, her, uh, her colleague, and another woman. And I'm like, what? what is this? And these women are, these. my former manager is very sweet and loving and it struck me as odd that she wasn't like, how was Peru? How was the trip? Mm, you sense a coldness or like a, not a warmth that you would use used to. Yeah. There was just a, a matter of fact, direct energy that I could feel before anything else was taking huh. place. And in an instant, I was like, I know what this meeting is. Are you about to get fired? Yep. <laughs> I love stuff like this. So they go, Lee, as you know, for these past few years, we've been restructuring the company. And while you were away, your role was considered redundant. Wow. Oh my gosh. The fact that it happened while you were working with sacred medicine at a sacred location, of course. Yep. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, oh my God, I knew this was going to happen. And I didn't know it. I didn't have the thought, but I had a feeling. Yeah. And so we get through the meeting and I get off the call and the woman from HR, who was the third woman on the call was like, uh, Google messaging me. And she was like, Hey, did you get my email? And I'm like, no, I didn't get it. She goes, well, the severance paperwork is, is attached. So please take a look, sign it and return it. And she pinged me a few times. Did you get the email? Did you get the, did you get the email? And I'm like, no. And email doesn't get delayed like this. It's not being sent by carrier pigeon. It's instant. Flash forward like an hour or two later, I finally get the email to my personal and my work inbox at 11, 11 a.m. Mm. And I was like, Ugh. trust, trust, <laughs> trust this. Yeah. Big so change. So that was my exit from corporate America. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so, so good. Yeah. I, I won't tell the whole story. It's, you know, it's not worth it right in this moment. I can sense, but I was also thrust out of, um, TV production when I was working at, at a production studio. Um, and I was ousted in a, in a way where I knew I could feel, I was like, this is universe. And that's why, like, it's stories like this, where it brings up the whole notion of like, what is success? What is failure anyways? Cause it's like, I, I love stories when people get fired. That's why I was like, are you about to get fired? Cause you know, in the traditional sense, like most people have that perspective of like, Oh, you know, so sorry. What a bummer. What a failure. And it's like, no, this was like the door that opened for the greatest miraculous new trajectory of, of my life. It was actually a huge success. You know, it was spirit coming in to get me on the, the, the better way. 
Hi fam, hope you're loving today's episode. I wanted to quick remind you that you are in the window right now to register for the live online Holy Mama program hosted by dear friend and recent Ceremony Circle guest, best-selling author, Melissa Ambrosini. The Holy Mama program is basically the ultimate guide to all things conscious conception, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and conscious parenting. You can check it all out at allisoncharles.com slash holymama. That's allisoncharles.com slash W-H-O-L-Y-M-A-M-A, Holy Mama. And the window to enroll is only now through November 3rd. So if it resonates, jump over there ASAP because the Holy Mama program features live training sessions, Q&A calls, never before seen interviews with the highest world-class pregnancy and birth experts, including one of my favorites, Dr. Cleopatra. You can learn at home, go at your own pace and have ongoing access for the entire life of the program. Remember, this includes everything conscious conception, radiant pregnancy and empowered birth and postpartum and conscious parenting. Now, only when you get registered through allisoncharles.com slash holy mama, I'll also send you some free bonus shamanic journeys that I guide just for you. All right, much love fam and back to today's episode. Okay, now my next question is, you were getting your 401k, like you said, and going to those New York City coffee shops and going up into the office. And as you more formally pivoted and were expressing and presenting yourself in more of those these esoteric teachings, what did your family have to say about all of that as you were coming out more and more, especially when you got to the seductress teachings? Was it met with any like questions or resistance? So at the very beginning, my parents were scared shitless, as yeah. most parents would be when their child, their only child, by the mm. way, mm-hmm. goes from being in this seemingly secure, stable job that had some pathway to maybe the C-suite or to a VP level position where there would be these senses of security, retirement, 401k, healthcare, all of that. And so there was tension for a long while with my parents where they were like, why don't you get a job? Apply for a job, do this, do that. And meanwhile, I had interviewed and applied with large companies, hedge funds, other big tech companies and gotten jobs. They offered me jobs with a wonderful salary, an amazing sense of security. And I was like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Like I, this is not what I want. And I'm going to be going to, you know, Connecticut every day to work for this hedge fund, busing myself there at, you know, 5am to be home by eight, 9pm when am I going to do the thing that I actually love doing when I'm burnt out on the weekend? No, there's, there's no way I'm doing that. So I had many moments of uh, reckoning in myself because, you know, when, when everyone around you is like, Hey, this would be the better thing to do. Right. It's, it takes a lot of courage and uh, I mean, maybe some sense of delusion. I don't know. I haven't decided yet, but to say, 
no, I really know there's something inside of me that, that knows that there is something over here. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it was the ultimate surrender mm-hmm. to the universe that I had to trust was going to guide me. And it was like, okay, what's going to happen? I don't know. There was no certainty. There were no answers. And even still on many days, it's the same thing. There's, there aren't answers to some of the questions that I consistently ask that my parents still ask and wonder about. Yeah. And as I started really owning this aspect of me, this, this true essence and, and beingness of who I am, they started to adjust. And listen, I'll, I'll tell you, I had many moments of reckoning with my parents where there was a lot of tension. There was conflict, particularly with my mom who's Chinese, by the way. So this is like a whole other world for her daughter, her prized possession who got straight A's. Only child. Yes. To dishonor the family and be in this world of, you know, where I'm talking openly about sexuality, sensuality, relationships, intimacy. And so there was a big transition point where they had to integrate. It was like, they're on a journey a yeah. multi-year journey with me watching me. Right. And I had to really learn to develop a very deep sense of compassion. Yes. And an ability to hold my experience as right and well and true for me and say, and hey, what is the impact this is having on you? And it, I, I didn't nail it every time. Right. But in moments when I did, it really created opening. And that was a big part of my journey into intimacy with myself and others to say yes to my experience and yes to your experience. They're both right and valid. And how can we hold both as truth? Right. And, and just hold both. I love that so much and I can fully relate to it. You know, I have an incredibly supportive, loving family and the calling that was instilled in me and the directives I'm given from my soul and spirit and great mother earth. It's very different than what my family is used to being a part of or or seeing in a loved one. I do have a lot of healers in my family, but they're more like the psychotherapist route and the teacher route and the principal at a school route, like healers and those textures. I do have an aunt who is a shaman. Wasn't really talked about like too much though at family gatherings. It was only after I had my divine intervention and whole life got turned upside down that I was just the, then the, the strong guidance to work with aunt Denise, um, for some shamanic healing came in. But yeah, I've, I've also learned very similarly to be able to hold and unconditionally love and have compassion for like if a family member is confused or doesn't fully grasp or understand. And it's the way that we are called to live is so far outside of the box or parameters that they've ever witnessed anybody else doing it's understandable that it's going to arise questions and complexities and confusion at times. And, um, and yet 
uh, a part of our calling is to hold the line, that hold that divine line for what we know is meant for and, and true for our earth walk. So it's, it's a lot of space to hold. Um, and I also don't get it perfect, quote unquote, perfect every time. So it's a work in progress and it's a dance. But it's an intriguing one. And again, you know, in terms of our, our listeners, I'm sure there's a lot of people also shaking their head up and down. Yes, like they can relate and they're in a similar position where they're that one person in their family who is living very, very differently, living from a different set of rules, different living from a different place of energetics than anybody else yet. We, we continue on somehow. Yeah. I, the, the phrase mystic misfits. Oh, that's nice. Mind. Like we're just the, and I feel like we're all gathered here in Austin pretty much. A lot just... of us for sure. <laughs> yes. And it's also now bringing me to another unique way of life that you have implemented. I was able to meet your partner at that same dinner that you and I met at. You guys are both so lovely. And then not too long after that, I can't remember what came first. I remember running into you and you were in the midst of some really, really deep, deep, deep work, inner work, energetic work. You were in the throes of it. I could tell you were really feeling it that day that I ran into you. And then either right before that or after that, I saw you post on social media that you and your longtime committed partner that you have, what's his name again? Ani. Ani, yeah, that you and Ani had decided you're still together. You're still in a committed, devoted, loving relationship, but you decided, one of you decided to move out and you're just going to live in different homes. And so while we're on this theme of living outside of the box, I would love for you to share and illuminate a little bit for everyone um, how you guys arrived to that decision and how, how did you know it felt like the right move for you? Yeah. So literally the right move. The right move. <laughs> yes. Yes. We've always been quite unconventional in our approach to relationships, not even only our relationship with each other romantically, but our relationships with others in our lives. Mm. And uh, it almost seemed natural to us that at the the juncture when our lease was coming to an end, we had a, a beautiful house not far from here out in the hill country of Austin that by the standards of the American dream would have let us know that we made it. Like tall ceilings, beautiful open space, more space than we knew what to do with. And we'd kind of made it, I guess. And we got to that point where our lease was coming to an end because we weren't ready to buy yet. And we sat down and said, okay, we've spent the last few years since we've been in Austin, since we left New York, really being in the throes of our personal, spiritual, and romantic development. It has felt like a three-year-long plant medicine journey. Right. I hear, <laughs> right? Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. yeah. And so we've spent a lot of time pouring into the relationship and we both have a background in psychology. So we've mapped our own responses to our phases of development in developmental psychology. And so we, we both come at this with a very clear understanding of what's happening for us psychologically what's happening for us spiritually, what's happening for us energetically with as much conscientiousness as we can. And we said, okay, we've, we've really poured into the us. 
Now in this next chapter, we have a decision point. The lease is coming to an end. Do we want to renew it or do we want to move? Now, you know, out here, we're about where we were living. We were about 45 minutes from the city, the inner city of Austin. And as former New Yorkers, that was very far to be from a city. So we already felt this sense of isolation being all the way out here in hill country. And we said, okay, we, we want a different style for our lives. Okay, so we know that we're going to move out of this house. That's the first decision point. We want to move back closer to the heart of Austin. Now, the second decision point is, do we want to live separately or do we want to live together? And why would we choose either of those options? But the fact that you guys even let that question be spoken, I think, is so brave and so rare, I I feel. And I am always willing to say I could be very wrong. I have no problem with that. But I feel that, mm, I'm going to go ahead and say it, 90 plus percent of the couples, if either or both of them had that question, it wouldn't be spoken. It just wouldn't right. be brought up. Right. So the fact that you guys even were able to be brave enough to say like, okay, let's not forget there's another question in here of when we move, do we want to move into the same place together? I mean, that's brave. Thank you. And that kind of brings my awareness to the fact that that's not a question that sits at the tip of everyone's tongue. So I'm aware that that's not something most people think about and something that we've been really keen to do in our relationship and that he has taught me a lot about is looking at the invisible factors that we think are constants and asking, is this really a constant? Hmm. And it's easy to assume that there is a linear progression in relationship. First we meet and then we date and then we date for a while and then eventually we move in and then eventually we get married and then eventually we have kids and then, and on and on. And that there is this one path to how we relate to our romantic partners. And yes, when we collapse all of the realities and we choose that path, that can be the one path, but that is not the one path that feels best and most enlivening for everyone. So if we step back from that being the only reality that can exist, then we bring back the other options and it's like, well, if we're not necessarily doing this, although we still can, what else can we do? Where else is there variability where we didn't see variability at, at a previous point in time? I just think that's so powerful to, you know, for anyone listening to just pause and ponder that in any aspect of relationship, friendships, like... You know, if you, especially those of us that devote to being on the infinite evolutionary path, we are, I mean, especially lately, like the evolutionary processes are just whizzing by and happening so fast, like second by second. I feel so different. And if this type of conversation and possibility is brought into, like I said, any relationship, let's just take friendship, for example, where over the course of a longer term friendship, if this possibility of the friendship container feeling, looking, functioning differently is more of a regular or semi-consistent topic of conversation, then it's less likely to reach a combustion point where if either or both of you 
is evolving and all of a sudden you hit a place where it's like one person's at a different chapter and place in life than the other instead of that having to equate to oh we're just grown apart and this friendship's no longer aligned if you've been talking along the way of how can this maybe look different i feel like i'm entering into a place in life where all of a sudden my values are shifting and i'm focusing more on wanting to conceive as opposed to being career oriented if it's talked about more it's less likely i feel to reach a point of demise or dis dissolution yes and I, I that's the key is that there is presence and communication along the way and yeah. this is again like we talked about earlier in in our conversation with presence, there can be adaptability. Mm -hmm. There is an anti-fragile nature to a relationship when there is a willingness to come to the table and say, okay, what's working well? What's not working so well? You think of, you know, in the corporate world when we do postmortems on a project and it's like, okay, guys, gather the team. What worked really well on this project that we'd like to keep doing? What didn't work so well on this project that we would like to do differently next time? It's not like anyone's passing any moral judgment because mm. something didn't function mm. well. It just doesn't work and it doesn't work for us in this way. And so when we can step back from this being a moral or ethical issue that one or both of us might have a desire to be in a different way of relating, a different living construct, then we can say, oh, okay, that's curious. Well, I'm noticing some emotions or sensations arise in me as we have this conversation. Mm -hmm what's here for you? What's underneath this decision? What's causing you to feel this way? And at that point, then we can say, oh, oh, well, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I've been experiencing. Here's what I think is best. And so you guys have that type of conversation. And was it instant that you both were on the same page of moving into separate places? Did it take a little while? Was one of you keen for it and the other one not? And they had to just, they, they organically found themselves to being on board. What was the next phase like? I can't say what the particular timeline was where we were having these thoughts individually when uh -huh. they still were unspoken. Right. But I do remember one day we were up in our studio. We had a little workout studio and we were just having a conversation. We actually read something on the pattern, the app. Mm, mm, <laughs> I've heard of that. It, it was pointing toward there being um, a big period of transformation and upheaval and transition. And, you know, you can read into that any way you want, but it's something we had both been considering. And because we had already acknowledged that we've both poured into the relationship so deeply, we had discussed the possibility of what it would be like and how our uh, you know, individual well-being and the well-being of the relationship would shift if we had a more self-centered focus and not in the traditional sense of self-centered, but an orientation toward self. Because we had worked through uh, a whole series of codependent dynamics in our relationship mm -hmm. where there was constant orientation toward the other. And almost to the point where at certain parts before we had really looked at these dynamics and what was causing them and what was causing them to continue to play out, we said, okay, there is some mistrust that each of us had that if we were to orient toward ourselves, we would lose connection with the other. Mm. So how do we explore what it's like to orient toward ourselves in a healthful way where we can meet our needs, where we can fill our own cups and still keep 
connection alive and still know connection is always here because it's, it's the young child that loses connection with their caregiver. That's like, yeah, okay, it's not safe. Fear of abandonment might come up. Exactly. And we had to work through quite a bit of that. And you know, we're, we're on an ever unfolding journey. I'm not going to say that we're completely resolved. And when we discussed that, there was an excitement that came up for both of us at the prospect of having our own space. And when we come together, we were talking about this before, coming together by choice, conscious choice. And it could be something as simple as him calling me up. Hey, I would love to have you over for dinner tonight. Would you love to come over? Yes, that would be wonderful. Or no, actually, I've got plans tonight. Uh, How about tomorrow? This is just so amazing and fun and fascinating for me to like <laughs> listen to all this. And so you, you guys, what has it been like five months how, or four months? How, how long is the, I, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, about four months. About four months. And are you both still feeling really good about it being yes. this way? Yeah, we, we are loving this. He loves his space. It's his domain. I love my space. It is my, I call it the pussy pleasure palace. It well, is just, I mean, it's my space. And, it, and I love that everything in my space is the way that I want it to be. Hmm. I'm not going to lie. I love that. My sink is the way I want my sink to be. There are no dishes in the sink. My, my bathroom is the way I want my bathroom to be. And there's nothing and no one else to consider. And I really enjoy having my domain and, a really interesting but seemingly trivial thing that shifted that I noticed when we lived together in the same house, I very much carried this duty and responsibility of being the woman of the house. Uh-huh. Let me keep everything clean. Let me clean the four bathrooms that we have, even though we're two people that don't need four bathrooms. Let me do this. And, and I was constantly looking for something to clean mm. and to keep tidy around the house because it felt like a duty and a responsibility for me. Now, when I go to his place, I can, of my own free will, say, I would love to help you with those dishes in the sink. I see that that would make things easier for you, but I don't feel like I have to. Mm-hmm. I can also just be his partner on the couch who's lazing, reading a book. And just visiting for the afternoon. Exactly. And it's wonderful. Wow. This is so good. <laughs> I'm so glad and grateful that you're willing to openly talk about it today uh, during this interview again, just on that theme of allowing, opening up the invitation for folks to expand into um, a wider capacity of what's possible in life. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I want to ask about this before we switch gears, just because, you know, you don't hear stories like this very often. So, I mean, maybe we covered it all. You guys are both feeling good about it. Is there any last little bit, like any other piece of wisdom that you've picked up or a sense of awareness that you've gained since you guys made this decision? Um, Anything else to illuminate on this unique scenario? What it really opened up for me was that we always get to choose. Like, you know, when we are not being held against our will in any way, we get to choose how we want to navigate through life how we want to navigate our relationship with ourselves, with our partners, with our businesses, with money, with sex, with food. And there are far less things that are concrete and unchangeable than we think. We've made many, many things constant in life. And let me just speak from personal experience. I 
once operated in life, like this is just how it is. This is how it's got to be. This is how I've always done it. This is how my parents did it or how so-and-so or society. Yeah, it's what's been modeled. Right. And when I entered into this relationship, it completely turned my world upside down because something that Ani is such a natural at is innovation and invention. And he's like, well, why do we have to do it that way? And I'm like, you're right. Why do we have to do it that way? And it, it has caused so many questions to come up, which is beautiful. And I hope that if nothing else, this models for people that you can do whatever works for you, regardless of what anybody else thinks. It's your life. And if there is a different way of relating to your partner, to yourself, to your body, to your sexuality, that feels nourishing and wholesome and aligned for you, then go forth and be great in that way. Yes. Thrive even fuller and greater than ever before. Yeah. Ah, so amazing. Okay. So before we go into, um, the closing practice, I feel like I want to circle back to seduction. I feel like there's things on this uh, piece of paper that we didn't get to yet. And it's such a juicy uh, topic that I just want to make sure we cover. I have this question here. Let, let me, I, let me just read it. I don't even know what it is. It says, how does feeling and being with one's full feelings, full emotions as a woman tie into seduction or feeling sexy? Does that question make sense? Like how do feelings and emotions work or correlate or tie into seduction? So there is this uh, idea that we have created in our society that we need to be these limited beings who feel in this very small spectrum or, or that we feel within this very limited range. And what's societally acceptable is happiness, joy for women, sadness is acceptable for men, anger is acceptable. Mm, right. And, you know, there's a small limited band that we operate in. Yet with that, we're all almost always seeking pleasure. And we orient our lives in many ways around the avoidance of pain and the gaining of pleasure. This can be by eating a cookie, right? And we just, oh God, we love the sugary taste. We love the chocolate morsels. We're seeking this pleasure. Or, I made cookies yesterday. They oh, were really good. So then you know. They were really like, like gooey and chocolate chippy and tasty. Ooh, I felt your seductive energy in that. <laughs> your your face changed. Their your eyes narrowed in, and you were like they were gooey and chocolate chippy, soft and yummy, soft and yummy. <laughs> <laughs> they just melted in my mouth. Mm -hmm. So we are oriented toward pleasure, away from pain. And the thing that many people don't realize that I did not realize for most of my life until I even started exploring this was that. When I was keeping myself in a limited range of emotion, I was also limiting the amount of pleasure I could experience mm. in the world. And pleasure for me is a huge part of seduction. To allow myself to surrender into a moment and to be present enough to experience pleasure, delight, connection, 
oneness with mm. myself or with the other person I'm in the interaction with. And when I don't allow myself full access to my range of feeling, my ability to be in seductive, present, curious, playful energy where my mind isn't off somewhere else trying to strategize what to do next or wondering, is this okay? I don't know. What are they going to say? Then I get to be here. Thoughts dissipate. I'm here. My body is open. My stomach feels nice and loose. My tongue is resting in the bed of my the mouth. The jaws and is clenched. The jaws and is clenched. My pelvic floor is relaxed. My shoulders are surrendered down. And there is this embodied state of presence, of relaxation, of safety, so that I can be in an energy that is connected and present, which is the starting point for seduction where we can then be in this adaptive, responsive play oh, with, wow. each other, with each other. Okay. When I read that question, I was like, I don't know if I'm even asking anything or if it makes sense, but that was a really great answer. I was like, oh, I'm so glad I asked that <laughs> weird question because we got a great answer. Thank you for tuning into that. And this one I'm, cu I'm curious about. I'm seductively curious about. Mm. Does seduction look different when dating someone um, versus married and living together? I mean, I guess I guess maybe there could be some similarities and some differences, but how might that work differently? Yeah. So when we think about dating someone, there's a novelty, there's a newness, and there can be an energy of newness and novelty. And that doesn't necessarily have to be lost when we're in a long-term relationship with someone. But novelty is there for the taking when we're dating. It's like, by virtue of us having just met, this is new. Everything's new. How you, they brush their teeth, how they, yeah, it's all new. Right. So that is just par for the course. That is naturally present. And we tend to lose sight of the fact that there can still be novelty in different ways when we are in a longer-term relationship with someone. So... Going back to your question, the nature of seduction can remain constant throughout relationship phases. And of course, it can adapt to meet our needs as we are ever-changing beings. And if we look at seduction as the energy of presence, of curiosity, of play, that doesn't have to necessarily shift as we shift in our relationship and in the amount of time we've been together. And what we might find is that the ways in which we interact and relate to each other mature. And by mature, I mean, we've spent enough time together. We've learned a fair amount of things about each other, the other person's tendencies, that there is this almost like a process of marination, like things have the potential to become even juicier and more flavorful as time goes on. If you think, and I don't, I don't personally um, eat animal protein, but you think of like a marinating steak. Mm -hmm. You marinate it, you put it in the fridge and you let it sit. And the more the juices mix and mold with each other, the juicier and the more vibrant the yeah. flavor becomes. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm making this point in particular because one of the misconceptions that I held about relationship early on was that novelty is the only way to keep the spark alive. Newness, 
So we've got to have multiple partners and variation in partners. And then once I've hit my ceiling, I got to find the next one. Because what? Otherwise, you just get used to each other, bored with each other, things get mundane and people then want to look elsewhere because they're bored. I mean, that's one potential. And that's... I mean, one potential narrative. I'm not saying that's true. (laughs) Yes. That is a narrative that a lot of people participate in. And I have done that many, many times. My ceiling used to be two years and I just could not make it past two years. And that's, you know, in my opinion, just I was lazy in my imagination. Mm. I just did not exercise the um, opportunity that I had to expand beyond novelty meaning new partner and consider that novelty could mean that I could be curious in a new way about the partner that I've been with for multiple years or I could be curious in a new way about what my body likes, how my body functions at a different point in my cycle or Mm. how I feel when I've just come back from being outside in the sun versus, you know, another time. There are all these points in which we can get curious and we, where we can keep that seductive energy alive that often feels so natural and on the tip of our tongues when someone feels new, mm-hmm. when we're just dating, we call it the honeymoon phase. We can take that and we can find new ways to create that and allow for that at varying points in our relationship. And it might be doing something like living separately. That's probably extreme for most people. It might also be uh, something as simple as role-playing. It could be choosing to ask new questions of ourselves and our partner. So that's a a meandering answer to your question. Um, But you asked if it if seductive energy and seduction feels different in the beginning than it does at a later point in the relationship. Yeah. And I think the answer is twofold. Yes, it can feel wildly different. And also there is an unchanging nature to seductive energy in my experience that is always present, curious, um, inquisitive, that is, is ever present and unchanging in its nature. So yes and no. I love that. Wow. You've opened up like just a whole new world and portal of what seduction means, uh, how it can express all the different ways, forms of expression. I knew this would be, um, yeah, just like an enlightening, expansive episode for me personally. And those are the interviews I'm noticing I'm getting the most excited about. Like when I, I don't know if you know, Rena Trevi. I do. Oh, oh boy. Yes. Hers came out a few, well, at the time yours comes out, it will have come out quite a while ago. The time that we're sitting, it was somewhat recent that it came out, and I had a yoni massage with her. Yes, a couple of weeks ago, life changing, and yes. like, you know, my interview with you, the one with her, the one with with Steph about you know just sacred sex between couples and things like that. Like those are the ones that are lighting me up the most about um, you know because I get to learn. You know, for some reason, um, these areas of life were just um, delayed in my experience or, you know, because my previous partners, um, there was just like a lot of trauma and dysfunctional past relationships I was in. So it wasn't until I got with Luke that I was in safe space to open myself up to feel safe to explore the seductress in me. I didn't feel like I could explore her until now. And, 
you know, so yeah, I, I am just glad that uh, we were able to have this conversation. Is there anything else before we do any sort of, if you have a, a closing practice or share of um, anything you want to immerse the listeners in, if you don't, that's fine as well. But before we get to that, anything else that you just, you can feel wants to be spoken and along with that, I know that you've got, um, what's the name of your course or what's the seductress? I also saw that one quote. Um, we don't have to get into it, but I put it down. I really liked it. The seductress is not born. She's self-made. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so what wants to come through is that seduction does not have to be hard. Yeah. It is less a doing and more an allowing and a being. Okay. Well, let me set the intention that I am opening myself up to allowing yes. the art of seduction to more freely inform me, to more freely move through me, more freely become embodied in myself and in my relationship with Luke. I look forward to allowing her to express and play more. Yes. Okay, so I'll I'll make an invitation. I am allowing my inner seductress to express and play more. So if you made that statement again as a declaration, the universe has ears listening at all times. With the inherent seductress that already exists inside of you, even if you were to close your eyes and make that declaration out loud one more time, how would you choose to say those words? Mm. Can you, it, it, the, the phrase is, I am allowing my inner seductress to play more. What was the phrase that we just said? Well, what, what feels alive for you? What is your declaration? Let's see my declaration that wants to come through. I'll, I'll just get it out and then I'll say it in the deeper way next. Um, what wants to come out is I, I'm ready. I'm allowing my inner seductress to move more freely within me and to be expressed. So I'm, I do want to say it a little sexier. I'm allowing my inner seductress to move more freely all throughout me and to be more fully expressed. Do a little cat cat yeah. claw crawling motion with that one. So yeah, it was it, that was a great thank you for opening me up to speaking it differently cuz it allowed me to feel different textures and emotions and and saying it. Yeah. And look how naturally you knew where to pause. Mm. How to enunciate. Your facial expression changed. You started to make a different face to move more freely and to express. Meow. Meow. Right? <laughs> Nobody had to tell you how to do that. There was just, you were inspired in such a way that your voice slowed down a bit. You really tuned into how you were feeling. Your body wanted to move differently. Your, the, your tone changed. I, nobody taught you how to do that. That just arose within you because that is already present within you when you tune into it. Mm -hmm. 
if I can do it, any of you can do it. <laughs> I'm just saying that was that was very liberating. Thank oh, you. Yay. Mm. Anything you feel uh, called to guide or immerse the soul famine in a, in a closing ritual or prayer or anything? Oh, I would love to. Yes. Okay. And no pressure. Yeah. I'm just going to see what comes through. I'm going to. Cool. Hopefully not flash the camera <laughs> or hopefully. Or we'll maybe see. that's the medicine <laughs> called for today. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so I'll invite everyone to close their eyes unless you are operating a car or machinery. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. <sighs> Feel yourself nice and steadily planted where you are. Take a slow, deep, sensual breath in through the nose. And let it slowly slither out through your lips. Continue to breathe like that for a few breaths, just noticing that your body naturally slows down to meet your direction. And as you breathe in and out in this very slow and sensual way, tuning into your senses, allow any tension being held in the body to easefully release. There's no effort needed, allowing the eyes behind the eyelids to relax eyebrow ridge to become soft, the jaw to hang freely, the tongue to surrender into the bed of your mouth, the throat to open, the shoulders to melt down, feeling your chest open and your heart expand, letting the belly hang with each in and out breath, allowing the lower back to relax, the pelvic floor to drop, the legs to just be seated ever so gently and the feet to completely surrender. Taking another slow breath in through the nose as slowly as you can. Slowly breathing out. And on these next few out-breaths, just letting out any sounds that want to escape the juiciness of your lips. Taking a slow, deep breath in. And out with a sound. Ah. 
Another slow, deep breath in. And out with another sound. Mm. And again, a slow, deep, sensual breath in. Holding it for a few moments at the top, feeling so completely filled up with fresh air, fresh energy, new life and new possibility. Bringing your presence and awareness to how full you feel right now. And slowly letting it slip out through your lips as slow as possible. And then as it feels right, just letting your body move. There's no better or more right way. Just letting your body be moved. Your body naturally knows what feels good for it. Continuing to take those slow, deep breaths in, letting any sound out if sound wants to come out. And there's no doing here. You're just letting yourself be. You're letting yourself be moved and guided and directed by your body, by your intuition by your highest place of pleasure and joy. (sighs) Allow yourself to make faces. (sighs) Maybe allow your face to contort into expressions that don't normally arise on your face. Scrunching your face and sticking your tongue out. Ah, feel the energy move through your body. Perhaps there's an animal movement that's coming through or a sound. Ah. Just taking this moment to tune into your own unbridled, uninhibited, free expression that naturally arises when you just let it happen. Becoming really present with the releasing of tension and the welcoming of free movement. Take these last few moments to breathe and sound and move in any way that feels good and right and intuitive. Mm. And then when you feel ready, come back to stillness. Just tune in. Notice how you feel. 
take a moment in your mind's eye to see yourself and out loud or in your head you can say oh hello it's so nice to see you here and if any other interactions of delight or flirtation or presence arise in how you greet yourself as you come back into yourself, then allow that expression to be free. Maybe you notice yourself drawing yourself in with your pointer finger saying, come hither. Or you imagine yourself just... seductively and freely laying on to the chase lounge. Whatever arises is perfect. But just feeling how this opening in your body and your expression allows that imagination of yours, that wild, beautiful imagination, to just be more active and accessible. And if it feels good, allow a sweet flirtatious smile to turn up onto your lips as if you have a secret that nobody else knows about. You're the only one who knows. You get to keep this sweet, beautiful secret intimately held to your chest for you and yourself. and feel what this place feels like. And in your mind's eye, imagine dropping a pin here like you can do on Google Maps. And we'll call this home. And you can return back to this place of presence and playfulness and curiosity within yourself anytime you wish, simply by choosing to come home. Taking one last slow deep breath in through the nose all the way down to the tailbone. And letting it out with a sound. Whenever you feel ready, opening your eyes, returning back to the present moment, the moment that you truly never left. Cookie decided to join for this art of seduction practice. <gasps> Woke her up. She came more alive, and here she is. Give herself a little bath. Oh, sweetheart. Such a little healer dog. Of course, she came in for the healing closing circle. Real silly. Well, thank you so much, Lee. I learned so much. (laughs) I knew I would. (laughs) It was a pleasure. Yeah, it was a pleasure for me, too. And Thank you for your courage and just being willing, so willing to live from the seat of your soul and your heart and, you know, to, uh, yeah, courageously expand the parameters of what's possible and sharing the wisdom you've gained along the way. So appreciate it. Thank you so much for that acknowledgement. I receive it and it was just such a delight to be here with you. Yeah, likewise. How can folks work with you or learn how to, um, you know, learn more of these seduction ways and practices. I know you have different offerings, right? Yes. So the best way to connect is on social media. 
on Instagram. I'm at leenoto underscore. And my website, leenoto.com. Okay, amazing. I went to your website, but I forget what, do you have like courses or what, what are some of your offerings or like yes. groups? Or? Yes. My website's undergoing a seductive facelift <laughs> right now. So, um, I've got a couple of offerings. Uh, my free offering is called feeling fine as fuck. Oh, okay. <laughs> getting right to it. And as the name implies, it is a wonderful immersion where we really come back to that energy that energy within where we get to feel fine as fuck because it's our birthright. Like we can choose to direct our energy and attention there anytime and create that state of being inside mm-hmm. of us. But we're Love like, that. yo, I'm badass. Of course. That's feeling fine as fuck. And that's a a beautiful appetizer to wet your palate. <laughs> and um, the main offering that I have that is an ongoing offering is called Aligned Attraction. And this is an offering for powerful single women who are ready to unlock their feminine power to attract their committed masculine man. And we go through many core principles, one of them being really connecting back to the presence and the alive seductive energy within us that naturally allows us to be magnetic and irresistible even to ourselves. Like we can just barely resist ourselves. How could anybody or anything in the world resist us when we're just so doing our thing? And then a few times a year, I host a retreat, which is is turning into a retreat called Unleash Your Seductress. I love that title. Yes, I do too. Oh, my inner seductress initiated me into this offering. And that is an immersive retreat experience where we are diving deep into seduction and all things seduction. And you're getting to feel it, experience it, and embody it firsthand. Mm, I love that. Maybe I should go to your next one. Cool. I will put you on the VIP list, my dear. Oh, boy. (laughs) You hear that cookie? Mama's going to open her seductive energetics. All right. Well, Soul Fam, thank you for sitting around the sacred grand fire with us today. Always such a pleasure. And thank you again, Lee, for joining me. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll sit with you again next time. Woo-wee. What a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles. So it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, 
If you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.